You're listening to Mastering Retention, presented by UserWise. Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to today's episode of the Mastering Retention podcast. Uh, super excited to have Chen on with us today from uh, Blue Giraffe Games. Um, we're just going to be diving into all sorts of fun topics today. But um, one thing that has been on my mind a lot, <clears throat> which is this idea of narrative connections and how to actually make those meaningful within gameplay. So that's something I'm, I'm pretty jazzed about getting to, to dive into today as it's also a passion of yours. And, um, but, you know, before we do any of that stuff, I'd love to just hear, you know, what's your story? How'd you get into games? You know, how'd you end up where you are today? Awesome. Well, thanks, Tom, for uh, having me on the on the podcast. I'm really excited. First of all, uh, I uh, I enjoy it a lot, and I uh, listen to it regularly. Um, yeah. So my journey into games, um, I don't think it's a, a most typical one, uh, but it's starting to get more typical, which is I, I think a good thing. I started out uh, uh, studying industrial design uh, for four years here in Eindhoven. Um, and uh, while I was doing that, I was actually failing a lot at school. And um, a friend of mine told me about a new education that was started uh, somewhere in the middle of the Netherlands, um, which was about game design. And I didn't find a thing that was possible. Uh, we talk about 20 years back now. <laughs> so, uh, that for me was a first. And, and yeah, it, it seemed to combine everything that I, I liked as a kid, right? So I love playing games, uh, like most of your guests uh, uh, are. Um, but I also loved uh, graphic design. I loved industrial design, although uh, I wasn't that good at it. Um, <laughs> I loved making mods or at least uh, maps for. Uh, games like uh, Duke Nukem 3D back in the day <laughs> uh, on PC uh, and I loved making music so uh, all of that seems like uh, it had some connection with games and then I found <laughs> out there was an actual college I could go to or university uh, so I took that chance and um, yeah four years later um, I got into the game industry. I got my master degree uh, in game design, which was like super fascinating because the, the, not only was there a university, but there was like a master degree I could yeah. <laughs> could get into. So that was that was really cool. Uh, I was lucky that our school had some connections with the game industry. So um, uh, during my third and fourth year, uh, I was able to do my internships and my gradu graduation project uh, at a game company called PlayLogic. Um, and they were one of the two biggest companies in the Netherlands. You had Guerrilla Games uh, already just starting back then and, uh, and PlayLogic. Um, PlayLogic didn't survive four years later, um, <laughs> but, but it was a great learning opportunity. And yeah, from there, uh, I, I never stopped uh, being a game designer and, and doing the things I loved. Yeah. So you ended up at a game house for a little while, right? And yeah. now at Blue Giraffe, they're, they're your publisher, right? Yeah, and they're, and they're actually our owners also. So uh, ah. full, full circle. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, so, so after PlayLogic, uh, uh, I got hired at Game House. Um, they uh, already were focusing on the female audience, but back then it was on PC games, mm -hmm. uh, but also casual, which was new to me. I came from a more hardcore console uh, background. Uh, and so I had to learn a lot of new things uh, in the casual game space. Uh, I was actually <laughs> flabbergasted by what I thought was casual and what actually was casual because <laughs> I was pl playing this their, their, their like celebrated time management game, which is a delicious series. I think it has now over 20 entries. But back then, I think it was the fourth one and it was completely new to me. I was starting playing and I figured, oh, casual games, that can be that hard. But like, I, I like, I was like, man, this is like hardcore. This is like time, time management. I was doing four things at the same time. I didn't know where I, was, where I needed to look like. This different. This audience is different than I, uh, than I uh, imagined, right? So, uh, yeah, that was that was a real great learning experience. 
uh, after that, I joined uh, Abstraction Games. I'm currently just called Abstraction, which is a, a, a porting house. Um, and they really specialize in making uh, the best kind of ports available uh, to any title that they're doing. They really make sure that they uh, port it in such a way that it feels like the game is made for that particular platform. Uh, so there is also some creative work and some design work involved in making sure the controls work perfectly and that the whole feeling is translated very well. Mm. Um, and then I joined Blue Giraffe. Uh, uh, which has yeah just been acquired a year ago, a year and a half ago by Game House. So full circle. <laughs> nice. Well, that's a really cool story. Yeah, you you've been in games for for a long time. Um, yeah. So something I sometimes like to ask, and I'm, I'm very curious, what what game or games like are you playing right now? Like what what's your what's your free time game? Ooh. Uh, I hardly play any games, actually, which is really like I, I, I buy games with the intention to play them <laughs> and then I hardly make any time. Um, but uh, I do like to play games with my son a lot um, and mostly on the Nintendo. Um, and um, what I found myself doing lately is playing uh, Mario Maker 2 also on the on the switch and just make levels so even when i'm not <laughs> even when i'm not making games i'm still making games so um yeah and is, and is that playing a game i don't know that the boundaries kind of fade there right if you're, if you're making levels in a game <laughs> I, i'm not really sure um but I, i'm so super impressed by a lot of things that are that console games are doing uh, uh the AAA guys, uh, they just keep pushing the boundaries. Uh, and I've got a lot of games in my backlog that I have to catch up on. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I find myself coming back to Mario Maker. Yeah, I have this problem. Well, so I have uh, little kids at home too, which you know probably took away a, a fair bit of my my time. But um, yeah, so I you know I've got some pretty hardcore like gamer friends and whatnot. And like, oh, they always convince me to like get this new game on Steam. And, you know, I, I get maybe like an hour or two in of playing with them and then that, you know, they've beaten the game a few times now and they're, you know, moving on to the next one. So I've got this like ever growing log of games that I need to get through too. Very recognizable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Love it. Um, cool. Well, let's, uh, let's, let's dive into some things. So narrative and in casual games. You know, yeah. what does that really mean to you? Um, well, first of all, this is something that, that we at Game House first and later at, at uh, Blue Giraffe continued uh, to do is tell, tell a great story. And this was long before uh, free to play was was a thing. So we were we, we started with narrative <laughs> games back when they were premium uh, casual PC games. And we found out that that adding a, a, a cool story to the game that really grabs your uh, the attention of your audience cre creates like in long, long relationships with your fans. So they really get into the uh, get into the games, they really like uh, the experience that it adds on top of the game experience, right? So for them, uh, and I think it's especially true for for female gamers, at least back in the day, they they were looking for an excuse to play, right? So they they weren't really considering themselves to be gamers, um, and I think that's changing. Though a lot of people don't recognize themselves as gamers, they are playing games, and uh, uh, but back then they 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 really. Uh, yeah, they didn't see themselves as gamers, and and adding a story brought something different on top of the just the gaming experience. So they they, uh, yeah, they really enjoy a good story, and I think that's 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 true for a lot of entertainment, right? Uh, not not just games. So I think that's that's uh, yeah, that's something we we have always uh, held on to and and tried to improve upon, making better stories that are better suited to our audience. Um, yeah, and then and then, really for us at Blue Giraffe, we try to make sure that we construct the whole experience around that story. 
So rather than something that is tagged on at a later stage, um, we take the story and put it in a central place and construct levels and gameplay around that story to make sure that it that it uh, matches the the emotions that we want to to evoke with our audience. Mm. So. I've got a handful of questions from from what you just kind of went through, and I'm, I'm I'm imagining that some of these are, are probably popping up into you know other people's minds. And so, you know, you say you know a story is great, or having a fascinating story for my audience is great. Yeah, yeah, no brainer. Yeah, I get that. But what is a fascinating story like? Are, like what sort of elements make up that story? And like, do you have any sort of like? prescribed flow or rules or like these things need to happen in the story to make it like actually fascinating and stuff. Because I, I feel like anyone could make a story, but actually having it be fascinating and engaging with an audience is is probably a very different thing. For me, that's super hard. Like I'm not, I'm not a writer. (laughs) So uh, um, for me, it's super hard. I've tried to to write stories uh, uh, in the past and failed. It's uh, it's a skill all on its own. And uh, thank God we have a very good one at uh, Blue Giraffe. Um, but but there are definitely some key ingredients and takeaways that that uh, uh, that I can give. Um, I think the the first one is that it should be uh, authentic. So the the stories we tell. All, always have something that is personal to us. So something that we encountered in our lives, something that uh, we felt that uh, we wanted to share, like these can be painful moments or frustrations or whatever, like life throws at you, right? So making it authentic as something that, that we can tell because we lived through those moments is I think the first step that you need to do in order to reach your audience. Um, and of course, uh, theme is important. So not only uh, like <laughs> we made a lot of uh, hospital games and none of us are doctors or nurses. So, um, but it is, a, it is a theme that a lot of people uh, are inspired by um, or, or can imagine that they'd want to live a life in a hospital as a doctor, for instance, um, and fantasize about that. And then the story we tell is are deeply personal. So they aren't only about making a career, but also about what happens if you try to make a career, for instance, and, and fail or meet uh, persons that are in your way. Um, we always have uh, strong relationships in our stories. Um, and also those relationships, yeah, they can, um, they can uh, break up, for instance. So, to make yeah for us and and I think that's uh, what strikes a, a, a nerve or a chord with our audience is that um, we make we make it personal and recognizable and and our, our stories are yeah usually quite small but they're they're full of drama they're full of uh, romance. Um, and although uh, we might end up with a burning hospital and uh, and someone doing a brain surgery while while the hospital is on fire, that all seems very like outlandish and out there. Um, all the things that happen up to that moment are really personal uh, and, and things that we can recognize. So so we try to tell those kinds of stories. Yeah, hmm. that's very interesting. Are you familiar with uh, any of like? tactiles games like Lily's Garden and kind of their approach yeah. to stories? Yeah, definitely. I think they're doing a, a great job. I, I must say I haven't played it in full, so I, I wouldn't know exactly how their story uh, goes. But I think they, I think they have the similar approach. Um, and at least that's what, what I got from, from playing some of it is mm-hmm. that I felt really, I felt that I recognized uh, characters in situations, and I, I figured like, hmm, this is this comes very close to what we're <laughs> trying to do, right? So, yeah, I, I think they they did some really interesting things in in Lily's Garden, and and I think one of the things that I saw that was particularly fascinating to me, um, and again, I haven't actually played the full game myself either, but um, of what I've played and what I've you know heard from other people, they do these like time limited events where they actually push out 
additional elements of the story. Like maybe they introduce like a new character and like that continues the story or it adds a twist or, you know, different things like that. Um, I think that's very smart. Like I like th- this is something that that we're trying to do as well uh, with with our upcoming game, uh, and I think that's really smart because people are really engaged and just want to move on with the story. So just adding gameplay events, for instance, uh, would would yeah you would you would reach a particular audience, but not everyone. Uh, I think. Yeah. No, that's uh, really cool and. If you do want to check out a new game, their their new game, uh, Penny and Flow, I think like even yeah. takes this to the next level because now they have like multiple. Well, I mean, their audience is primarily women, um, and so they have multiple women at like different stages in life, and so yeah. they can throw these different real life, authentic events at them, um, and and you get to like experience them you know through their eyes uh which i think is just super cool and the fact that you now have like two characters that you can try like different types of boosters and stuff on their levels it really just takes it to the next level but again i think it's all about that like central story and stuff so with the stuff that you guys have done with the story at like the center of the game and, and having these multiple like different versions like is it mostly like the game is you play until the end of the story and then like you move on to the next game or, or do you guys do kind of ongoing live ops, you know, support and things like that in certain titles? Yeah. Well, so with, with our, our, our uh, time management series, uh, Hearts Medicine, the last three games and the last one is actually free to play, but then all, all of the last three games that we uh, did, um, basically, levels were structured in such a way that it started with story, you played a level, and it ended with story. And then in between, we called, uh, we added these events that were not like your typical life ops events, but just something that happens in the gameplay, and and that adjusts the gameplay slightly or adds some kind of variation. Sometimes you needed to to find something. Sometimes you needed to ha- handle something else, like a particular situation. Um, but those really tied into the story that we uh, wanted mm. to tell. So what we did is make sure that even though the game itself was typical time management uh, gameplay, we made sure that every level uh, made some connection to uh, to the story. So for instance, if you would have to, I don't know, treat a patient that was uh, critically ill, um, you would treat those patients uh, while doing all the other chores in your time management series. And then if the person wouldn't make it, then you will we will try to adjust the gameplay in such a way that you feel always in a hurry and make it extra difficult. So you feel whatever uh, the story wants our protagonist to feel. So uh, uh, and, and, and that way, by controlling, by sometimes making it easier or sometimes doing something we know the game uh, makes a bit more fun, uh, we'll alter those slightly, and then uh, hopefully the player by playing the game will go along with the feeling that we're trying to uh, to achieve. Yeah, that's super fascinating. So, you know, let's say I have created an awesome, captivating story, um, which I, I probably can't do because I'm not a writer either. Um, <clears throat> well, I can write a pretty engaging, like, chapter or so like I, I even showed it to my wife and she's like oh this is pretty good like where do you go from here and i was like i i have no idea i have no outline of where it's going but, <laughs> you know they, these characters have good conversations and stuff so i you know maybe i could get the the f you know first time user tutorial going on um but anyways <laughs> let's pretend for a second that i could create a story or yeah. i i have an awesome writer like what you have um how do i think about like adding gameplay into that story or enriching the story yeah. with the gameplay. I mean, like, you know, when I think about casual sure games, about a lot of them are, you know, like casual. And now there's this whole like merge thing that's, you know, popping up everywhere and yeah. match three, match two, whatever. Like how, how do you blend those elements? In? Cause like, is that really part of the story doing that like match three or is it kind of like divorced from that or is there a way that you could tie them together? No, I think, I think there is definitely a way to tie them together, but uh, I think they, they do go hand in hand. So um, time management as a genre kind of fits what you're doing in a hospital, right? It kind of matches, or at least you can think that 
a nurse or a doctor would do multiple things at once. Like you can imagine them there being busy, right? Uh, if you have a really relaxing like story for going on a holiday, like making a time management isn't the most obvious thing you could do. So they, they do go hand in hand. So depending on what you're trying to tell, uh, there's, there's mostly, uh, or uh, yeah, it, it's very common that a story has a particular theme or a particular, uh, I'd say that, uh, like life lesson or moral that you wanna, wanna bring towards the audience. So you would look, you would look at that, and try to describe that as the best way as you can, and then find gameplay that suits that, or or the other way around. If you start with gameplay, then you can uh, try to see how uh, how does the game make me feel at certain moments. Like if you're making a match-free game and you want to add story, how does match-free make you feel when you play it? Do you feel really excited when you make a match? Do you like are super frustrated when the level ends? Like there, <laughs> there are different kinds of feelings you go through and what kind of story would fit a match-free game, right? And how could you like maneuver and twist the gameplay around to fit like even more emotions in there? Mm. So I think that would be like you need to analyze whatever you're trying to do. Like, and you can you can start with a, with story. You can start with gameplay. Usually, that will go hand in hand. Like a theme and a particular gameplay uh, from the person that brings brings it up. At least in our studio, both of those will already be like gelled somewhere in someone's head. Like, okay, this could kind of work if we're if we're doing it like this and we're telling something like this. And from that, that will be a, a starting point. Yeah. So. How do I phrase this? Okay. I've been playing a lot of Royal Match lately um, because I am just fascinated with that game and how it keeps me playing because I've never really been like a casual match three player. And yet I keep playing Royal Match. And I don't know why. Um, <laughs> but uh, one thing that I find particularly interesting in that game is like every 10 levels or so, you kind of know that it's coming and it always happens after like a really challenging level. Um, but they just give you the ability to like, they give you like huge power-ups that like land beside each other. You can blow away everything. And there's lots of coins and stuff that you collect and you basically just get like free content and the joy of like blowing up the entire map, like multiple times and repeatedly. Um, but it is, is that the kind of thing that you could blend into a story to make it richer? And, and what I mean by that is like, um, let's say there's a really high point in the story. Like I finally overcame something, you know, is that a good point for a level like that? And on the flip yeah. side, like, are there ways that like I could have a super aggravating, annoying level that ties into a story where like something is also going on in the story that like really has my character down. Like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to become a doctor and someone has like gotten in the way and it doesn't look like I'm going to be able to pass my exam and I'm going to fail out of all this stuff. You know, yeah. <laughs> my life is over basically. Yeah. So, um, I, I think so. Um, going back to Royal match, uh, first, like reaching that particular high point, if that go coincides with a, a really, high point in the story, those two will strengthen each other. Uh, like if, if, for instance, in the story, like you also struggled for a long time and you felt also the same kind of struggle in your levels, like, oh man, these are really hard and you're flowing through and you're, you're like, you're, uh, uh, you almost want to give up, right? Because there's always this fine line, but if there's story to your struggle, you're more likely to keep on going, right? And if then, the, the reward is not it's not just story, but then also that level that just allows you to blast everything like continuously, like yeah. continuous high, like wow, man, they both strengthen each other. Uh, uh, but yeah, it, it is it is of course a very fine line because not all players are interested in story. So some some might skip the story, and if you're making it too hard for too long, the, those players might churn. Um, I, uh, uh, I've written about uh, one of the things that really caught my attention in, in one of our games where we really needed uh, uh, a particular emotion 
and that that emotion was that we introduced this character which was um, the mother-in-law of our of our protagonist and we wanted players and also our protagonist to really not like her <laughs> and uh, uh, what we did is we made the protagonist again in, in like an additional layer to the regular gameplay we made the player and the protagonist hang up signs like welcome mom and like doing all these nice things for her boyfriend uh, and for his mother uh, making sure that like everything was looking very clean and we like made sure the whole the whole level was like really looking great uh, and was all decorated and then because we also as a player did all that effort then when the story uh, came and uh, uh, and the mother-in-law was introduced and she's like what is this mess and like what's this sign welcome mom like i'm not even your mother like what wh what's this weird stuff like because as a player you put in all that effort you you felt like our protagonist like hey wait a yeah. minute like <laughs> you should be nice to me right uh, and I, I always like that example because uh, even though the emotion comes after the gameplay, mm -hmm. we charge it up front, right? So by by, by making sure uh, the player put in the same effort as our as our protagonist, the player felt the same. So yeah, I think that's a really uh, uh, nice example of how you can play with with gameplay and add to the story. Wow, yeah. It, it... <laughs> it's it's almost like in some ways like making an interactive uh, <clears throat> you know novel or book or something like that you know in the sense of like you know when you're reading uh, a lot of times you'll kind of put yourself in the protagonist's you know shoes or, or whatnot um, kind of like living through it and then when they encounter that pain you also encounter it but in this case, you actually had to do something to work and go even beyond that. And then, you know, encounter yeah. that. Oh, very yeah. fascinating. Um, huh. I am, I'm very intrigued. Um, cool. Uh, so looping back, just, just a little bit, taking like a high level approach. So this idea of a, a fascinating story is, is great. But obviously, like different stories are going to uh, appeal to different audiences and different types of things. So um, have you ever employed anything like target target audience research? Yeah, yeah, definitely. This is something that I learned also uh, uh, back in the day when I first joined Gamehouse and, and actually something that uh, we've been continuing uh, uh, doing uh, as of, uh, let's say, year and a half now is really get to know our target audience again so um, we use uh, personas uh, for a while and, and 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 even back in the pc days we made sure that we we knew our audience uh, we knew what they liked uh, we did countless of interviews and, and uh, user tests uh, and and uh, basically we're picking that up again so we're making sure that we continuously know our audience and know what they like and what they don't like and where we can serve uh, particular uh, needs that 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 uh, that they have from games like um, we we currently identify five personas in in basically the the broadest sense of the female audience so and we really like to look at the uh, personas in such a way that not not so much in age brackets, because we felt age brackets didn't really tell us a lot, but more in, in game behavior and also how games fit their lives. Um, and you see really big differences between uh, different personas. So there's... Um, uh, one uh, which is, I think, familiar to a lot of us, which we call the time stealer. Um, and this persona um, sneaks in me time, like uh, like we like to call it. <laughs> so uh, whenever they're waiting, I don't know, for picking up their kids uh, from soccer class or something, uh, they have a few minutes to kill. They grab their phone and sneak in a little me time, right? So they're playing their favorite game, but just for a few minutes. But they will do that continuously throughout the, throughout the day. Uh, and those are really like diff different from uh, someone we call uh, organizers, which are so organized. They like they have control 
over their lives, right? They're not that busy overall. They might have still have a job or they might uh, soon retire, but at least they, have, uh, they feel they're in control uh, and they set aside time. So they play games really differently. Um, they, they play for a few hours and they might enjoy the same kind of games, but they play really differently. So you can imagine that, yeah, to reach all of those, you need uh, and quick game sessions, right? But also maybe an engaging story that keeps them going for longer. Um, so uh, we try to really dive deep into these personas, really get to meet them also face-to-face doing uh, video interviews um, and really see, yeah, how, how they're interacting with games and not trying, this is something that I, that I found really interesting um, in a lot of research that I read uh, on personas is that they try to uh, fit personas to a particular genre. For instance, uh, uh, if you're in match free or uh, uh, making a word game that you're looking into word gamer specifically, but then you're really narrowing down your audience rather than opening it up. So we try to do the opposite and try not to focus on a genre, but just really go wide to make sure we're reaching the broadest possible audience. So that's why we have five instead of three or two, for instance, which is more uh, common, uh, yeah, to really address the, the, the breadth of the, of the audience. How do you, uh, you know, find people to do that sort of thing? Like, do you just like invite people in your games? Like if you're not, you know, released yet? Do you use like surveys or like, you know, survey monkey audience or something like that? Or like, you know, how do you yeah. find and, and qualify and, and talk to these people? And do you have like different stages or, or different types of things you do? Um, well, uh, we're very fortunate to have a very uh, loyal fan base that we can address. And they're also, uh, we're lucky that they are also uh, willing to uh, bring friends, for instance. Um, so we reach them through through our Facebook communities or, uh, or we have an, an app community as well. Um, and we'll reach out to them. Uh, we'll use our own surveys, uh, just through a survey service. Um, and um, because we have our own uh, customer support uh, persons, um, I found one that was willing to spend a lot of her free time uh, and, and sneak in time uh, for, for this research. So, so um, uh, through her, um, yeah, we, we basically conducted countless of surveys and we got thousands of response, uh, responses to them and over a dozen no, dozens, I have to say, dozens of video interviews. And then from that, without any, uh, uh, how do you say, for, without any assumptions, those five personas seem to emerge. Like going through all the data together with her, we, we saw, we noticed some common, common patterns and those became our personas. Um, but yeah, there's, there's other research that we also uh, uh, use to test our games, for instance, but that's a different topic. But uh, um, there, of course, we also want to have uh, real people playing and, and seeing their reactions and doing interviews with them as well. So, so I'm imagining myself as a listener right now. You know, I'm I've got all these things that I have to do as well, and my day job, and I have to make games, and I have to figure out this stuff. The idea of doing dozens of live videos and thousands of survey, like there's probably some stomachs that are like roiling, you know, feeling a little sick about, you know, all this. What sort of value and insights have you gained from this? And like, has this saved you time? Has this helped you do any features better, games better? Like, has it been worth it? Yeah, uh, uh, definitely. I can say from the past, uh, from our from our from our PC days when we had our our first personas, they were they were really alive in our company. Right, we we constantly talked about them as if they were there, and that really uh, made sure that we were constantly focusing on them rather than our own opinion. Um, and. Uh, to, for, for our new personas, just to give you uh, uh, one, one example that, that is like an actual example for, and tested in our in our latest game. Uh, we're currently working on a game called Text Express, uh, which is in soft launch uh, now. 
and um, one of our personas um, we call the high rollers, which are basically players that are spending a lot uh, in a game. And um, what we found out is that these high rollers, um, what their behavior is, and and how they're and how and why they are spending in games is because they they really play their games on their terms. So uh, if they can condense the amount of fun they can have in a particular time, they will do so. So they're all about optimizing their time and getting the most enjoyment out the fast possible way. So that's how they, they are playing with their games. And I wanted to test something because we have an ad placement right after a level. Uh, it's a, it's a, a video ad and it's completely optional. You get 20% extra progress if you press it, watch a 30 second ad and you get 20% extra progress. This is something that our high rollers would never do, right? They see it as watching an ad is something that is uh, a waste of their time, basically. So they're not gonna do that. So with that knowledge, I figured, well, what if I put a uh, purchase right next to that? Like get the same 20% progress, but for five diamonds, right? And, and we tested this and it, uh, and it added 5% extra revenue on total. So uh, ha- having that particular placement right there just adds 5% and, and five diamonds is way more valuable to us than the ad position is. So this is just pure, uh, pure profit for us uh, to have that placement there. And this is something directly coming from uh, from our research that we can just really quickly test, okay, this is something they don't like. Can we offer something they do like and, and see if that works? And, and, and yeah, what we've seen is it just adds uh, 5% on top of everything. So uh, it's been a really successful test. Uh, and so, so there's a lot to learn from our personas and, and how we can like tweak the game and small little things that, uh, yeah, we can make the best possible experience for all our players. Yeah. So do you guys take the approach of like trying to deeply understand like how each of these personas like and play the game and then you know, if you're thinking about monetization, which is, you know, behind the scenes on everyone's mind, if you're thinking about monetization, um, you know, how do I give each of these personas a placement or a thing that allows them to spend a little, watch a video, whatever, do some sort of monetization thing and get more of what they want to be doing, whether it's like achieving or completing or going faster or, you know, competing with friends, I don't know. Yeah, what we're trying to do first and foremost is make sure that the players like what they're playing. So even if they're like already super interested, can we make the game more fun for for these players, right? Uh, This was a monetization example, um, but for instance, for a different persona um, uh, that we call the socialite, which is typically a more younger woman um, and, and typically less interested in games, they're, they're more interested in in sharing the, the highlights of their life. How can we make sure that we're adding features or, or, or ideas in the game that they also like, right? So, so they might like the game, but they're not, they won't really talk about their, their game playing habits, right? But can we add something so that they have something to talk about, right? With their friends and with their peers. Uh, uh, so, so one of the things that we're looking at, and this is still untested, so I don't know if it will work, but one of the things that, uh, that we're thinking about is making a remark about uh, about her performance in the game. So uh, uh, Text Express is a, a word game with a, a pretty common uh, uh, mechanic where players need to uh, fill in a crossword. Uh, puzzle to progress through the levels. Um, and there are different ways that you could play that level, right? You could be very fast, uh, you can be uh, very slow, but then uh, we'll call that persistent, right? <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh, uh, you, may, you you kind of, uh, maybe you're like trying all kinds of weird combinations because uh, you're, like you're, it's not your typical thing. Um, so you might we might call it out and and, and say hey you're you're really creative right and if you're going to say hey man you're 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 really 
like 80% more creative than all the other players, that might be something like, hmm, like this is something I, I want to tell my friend, right? Like, look at this game. Mm -hmm. I'm like more creative and more persistent. And I'm uh, yesterday I was the fastest uh, in the neighborhood. Uh, that kind of uh, uh, feedback could come from our game. And then mm -hmm. we might reach that particular audience. Um, so if we if we can add those kinds of flavors to the base game, basically, I think we'll yeah we'll have a better chance of reaching those players as well. That's fantastic. I love that. Um, cool. So there's a so I guess I, I usually think that there's two problems that that pretty much every studio is facing. Um, large and small. Um, and the first one, which is something that I, I want to talk to you a little bit about, but I'll, I'll share both of them. So the first one is, how do I make a game that is fun enough that players want to stick around and play, probably tied to it, and is more fun than whatever I have already sunk significant time, energy, and effort into playing? Because I, you know, I think that's the bigger problem in like UA today is like we we have a saturated environment. Everyone pretty much already has their game. So if you're trying to get them into your game, probably they're gonna end up like quitting or stop playing uh, some other game as much. And if they've already sunk so much time and energy into it, they're you know pretty committed. So unless you hit them at the moment where the game has truly pissed them off and they're looking for something new. Um, you know, you've got to just inspire them with something so much greater. And so I think the bar keeps getting higher and higher, which is why I feel like more and more games are getting soft launched and getting killed without globally launching because they just can't compete. And, and yeah. it's a moving target too, because the live games that, yeah, yeah. you know, like your candy crushes, they're getting better too. They're, they're spending all their effort to keeping, which is problem too. How do I keep players around and engaged in my games for longer? Um, yeah. So I think what we're talking about here is great for that number two, but, you know, thinking about that first challenge of like, how do I make a new mobile free to play, let's say casual game from scratch. Like if, if I was to like, let's say we start a studio right now and I say, Chen, how, how do we do this? Like, what is the right approach? Like, yeah, that's, how, that's how do we a, have the most that's a success? Real challenge. Yeah. No, that's, that's yeah. a real challenge. And I, I, as you said, I think most studios will, will uh, when they're starting a new game, will have to have an answer to that. Um, <laughs> our answer has been uh, looking, really, looking at the market and feel where we could make uh, a difference. So with, uh, uh, after our last uh, game, which was actually our first free-to-play game, Hearts Medicine, um, we looked at the market and said, well, basically discovered that in the word game genre, we felt that uh, it wasn't as developed. Uh, and, and in hindsight, that is not true, but that's how it appeared. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to make sure that 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 I correct that because it it just appeared less developed than any of the other uh, genres, and we felt that we could uh, bring something new in that market, and I think that, that the last one is, is still true, um, um, but we felt like yeah most word games seem to be the same kind of yeah it felt kind of like simple puzzles. They kind of felt like a bit boring if you're coming from other genres. Uh, looking at it, it felt like, yeah, crosswords you find in the in the newspaper. That kind of vibe or in the small booklets uh, filled, filled with cross. We felt like if we're adding, like, uh, if we're adding a story and a world to that particular market, then we can really bring something new that, that hasn't been done before in that particular genre. Um, and um, of course, there are some, uh, like there are some giants in the, in the word game genre, right? So Wordscapes is, is definitely 
the number one uh, champion uh, in that market <laughs> and and uh like they know they know their game right so um i, I wouldn't like not, now that i know it a bit better like i wouldn't <laughs> dare to say that the uh, uh uh, that that's like a weak game or whatever or a boring game not at all i think they're doing an amazing job and uh and we've got much to learn from them uh and there are players that are like at the end game right they are they are like invested for more than a year or like even two years and they're at level six thousand and play every day like a couple of levels how how are we going to make sure that they like our game too and, and want to hop over maybe, right? That's really difficult. Uh, so we knew that. Uh, and what we what we figured out is, well, we shouldn't do the same thing as WordScape, right? Because then no one will be able to hop <laughs> over, right? Doing yeah. the exact same thing, but slightly better. No one's going to do, uh, uh, do the hop. Um, so what we decide is we're not going to do a, a head-to-head approach. We're focusing on all the stuff that makes us different than Wordscape. So even though we'll have similar gameplay and we also have crosswords, um, but we'll focus on uh, the feeling that we want to uh, make sure that a lot of players, I, this is what where it started, a lot of players, um, especially currently, feel the need to escape escape the world uh and and escape their daily the daily slumber so the theme of our game is we're going to make you feel like you're going on a holiday we're going to make sure that you're escaping this world uh, and by knowing our characters and 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 knowing like how, how we tell our stories the protagonist uh like feels what we want you to feel right <laughs> so that's how we how we approach that um and yeah, by focusing on characters and story and making sure that our world is beautiful and feels alive, um, that's all the things that currently we feel is missing in the word genre. Uh, and also we felt that although the word genre uh, compared to Match Free, for instance, isn't that big, we felt an opportunity to make it bigger. We felt that if we're adding all this stuff to a word game, we might also reach players that are currently not interested in word games. So that, like, we feel like, okay, maybe half of the players that are really engaged in their word game are interested in ours, and we'll probably open up some other markets that aren't typically interested in word games. But hey, this is like a, this is not your typical word game, right? So that's that's been our approach, doing something unique. Uh, but yeah, that will that will keep being very difficult, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, trying to do something new in merch or, or match free, it's super difficult. There have been so many different variations and yeah, it's really hard, but we felt there's an opportunity with, with word games for us. Yeah. So, you know, when you're thinking about this, like, is there any, I mean, obviously they're like, there's a little marketing data and stuff out there, but like it, looking at that um, audience type research, like, is there any way to use that sort of thing? Like, could, like, do you talk to, let's say, Wordscape users or non-Wordscape users who, like, you think might like what you want to create and try to understand, like, hey, you know, what are your biggest problems with Wordscapes? Like, you know, what is something that, you know, you love about other games that Wordscapes, like, do you, like, look for anything like that and be like, hey, it, it seems like, a lot of people like the wordscapes mechanic, but they just feel like the game just kind of lacks some cohesive elements that maybe we could fulfill with a narrative. Obviously, the players can't tell you exactly what you want, so you need to understand their problems and come up with a solution yourself. But like, yep. you know, do you do any of that sort of thing? And has it proved successful at all? Yeah. So, so uh, at first, it, there's a lot of guts that's involved. Unfortunately, uh, uh, we're we're tra- desperately trying to uh, look for answers right at the start, right? Because we want to immediately know, <laughs> is this going to be a success, right? <laughs> you immediately want to jump ahead and know if it's going to be a success. So first, I think uh, we all in the team need to have a, like an idea that this is going to work. But but then what we did is, um, and I think this is uh, happening more often, uh, we're doing, we're running ads 
based on on a movie that looks like a game but isn't a game and then just measure it and see what's the click-through rate are players signing up for instance to an email newsletter like do you want do they want to be updated so those will be our first test but still um uh and then, of course, uh, uh, prototyping. Uh, we we did all kinds of mechanics, so different kinds, not just the the one with the the, the which is the same kind of uh, as Wordscapes has, but different kind of mechanics to see. Okay, where are players most interested in? Uh, and then from that data, uh, combined with our gut feel, uh, always, uh, um, yeah, move on, right? But you only know. If it's a success, like in hindsight, right? You only know if that's going to be, uh, once you have made something like a prototype, you can see, okay, this is going to be a success. But there's very little data out there that tells you anything before pre-launch, right? If you're still in alpha, you're still, I don't know, it doesn't really look very shiny, but you can go, I don't know, to uh, there are services out there that do play tests, for instance, and then you get a couple of people playing your game, maybe like 10 people give you feedback. You get kind of a sense of where it's going, but like 10 people aren't a guarantee that it's going to be a success. Even if all 10 of them are blown away, you're still always doubting like, yeah, uh, these people might like it, right? But it, these are just 10 people and they're getting paid to test this. <laughs> so are they willing to say that they don't like it? So there's always room for doubt. Uh, so you just have to continuously... Uh, keep keep following your gut feeling in that as well. Yeah, it's very interesting. So he, here's a random question, and I don't actually remember where this framework is from, but it is um, something that I have used to varying success depending on how much I actually follow the framework. Um, but uh, someone wrote down that the best way to start a company and this isn't necessarily a games company, this is just kind of like anything in general, um, mm -hmm. is to set up like interviews with like 20 or 50 of like your ideal, you know, customers. Um, <clears throat> and you'd actually be surprised, like people are willing to help out. Hey, I'm, I'm like looking to start this new game or this new company or whatnot. Like, could I just like ask you a few questions about things? And there's two core questions that, that go into there. And the first one would be, uh, Okay, let's say I'm doing user-wise and I want to help you with live ops. So I would say like, you know, what are two to three problems related to live ops that you're trying to solve in the next year? And then the second question would be, um, if I had a magic wand and I could give you anything in related to live ops, like what would you want the most? And um, after five, 10 interviews, typically you'll start to see like a central theme or themes of things that like, is plaguing everyone. And then if you can find a way to fix that thing, you've got, you know, a good thing. So, you know, think about from a games vein, you know, could I set up like 20, 50 interviews with like players of wordscapes or non-wordscapes and be like, you know, what are the two to three like biggest complaints that you have in wordscapes? Yeah. And you know, uh, if I yeah, if I could give you anything in relation to a game, like what would you want most? Which probably you're gonna get, you know, some sort of answers, but I think you know, yeah, and actually we got some answers from an unexpected source uh, while while in the midst of development. So it was a bit really? late for us. Um, but yeah, uh, I think it was like last year, Facebook did a gaming report. And one of their findings was word gamers typically find a story and I think some other progression, progression mechanic lacking in their games. And so we were like, cool. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put this in our deck. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. So, 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 I think, I think, absolutely, we didn't go that route, uh, but I think it's definitely a good approach uh, to ask. But, but you need to know which, which is your perfect audience, right? Like, I can imagine for user-wise, you would know your audience. Uh, <laughs> uh, but if you're if you're trying to create a mass product like we are trying to create it, like we're trying to create the biggest thing that we ever made, right? Bigger than bigger than our our current target <laughs> audience, right? So we, who's our perfect like everyone's our audience, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, so so yeah, that's kind of I I think it's hard for us to to have started that way, but it is definitely interesting. Mm. Uh, looking what we did with our personas research, there's a ton of valuable information people are willing to share. Like, but you really have to 
listen carefully because they will just uh, uh, they will tell you a lot like in a very short amount of time and they will hint on all kinds of different things because they don't typically think about games how they're structured how they're made right they, they are really coming from a player perspective and obviously they want more stuff for free <laughs> right because everyone <laughs> wants that right right that's not typically what you always can give, of course, but there are um, there are, are little things that you can do. Um, we notice, for instance, that uh, players really uh, are, are playing word games to relax and to to wind down, and also um, they don't like they're like in a match-free game or typical action games you're always in a hurry so one of the things that we just tell in our game is hey man there is no time limit but we, we like not not if we wouldn't mention it i wouldn't have seen it back in reviews but we explicitly mentioned in one of our loading screens it says take your time relax there's no rush right and then what, what we found out is that those exact same words were repeated in reviews i like this game because it's so relaxing mm. like uh so you can also help players feel and like make sure that you're pinpointing the value of your game by just making it explicit like there is no penalty on our game. A lot of games have a like a fail state, and that's the moment that you need to pay up or uh, watch an ad. We don't have that, uh, so you can play uh, very slowly and really in your own way. So we needed to emphasize that, and then that's what we're seeing back in reviews, is that they're really liking that uh, from our game. Well, uh, we don't feel it's hurting our monetization, for instance. That's great. So you know. One one last little bit on monetization, and I, I know we're almost out of time here. But um, you know, when I think about monetization of a game, I, I think there's like two core elements that I, I always start with. And you know, whenever I start working with the team on optimizing monetization issues, I start with these questions. And the first one is, what about your game do your players find fun? Um, first, you'd be surprised at how few game teams of even like top grossing games actually know the answer to this question. Um, even if they're players themselves, it's hard to put an answer on, but it's really important for you to understand, I think. And then the second question is how does spending or doing some sort of monetization action, reward a video, whatever, make that more fun? And, you know, I'll use Royal Match as a great example here because they are masters at this and it drives me crazy and it amazes me at the same time. But like so often on a level, you will end it. You got one more turn left and you can set up the ultimate move where you can blow everything away, finally get that victory, finally beat this tough level that you've been working on, but you're out of moves. Yeah. And, and, you, can pay, and, you, and right? you can pay, you can pay just a little bit, you know, yeah. 900 gold. And I mean, you're, you're going to get some more gold, you know, and one of this, all, you know, you, you pay just a little bit and you can have that feeling of the pleasure of blowing everything away and winning the map. That is delightful. That is quite fun. That is feeling like you have brilliantly finally set up all the mechanics together. So you, you've earned this moment and you just have to like, pay just a little bit to like get there. Like you, you yeah. see your, your favorite band, you're almost there. And you know, if you don't, you lose this stuff and you have to restart again and it's painful too. So like psychologically they have set up that monetization moment, like perfectly. Like, do you yeah, guys do you use any sort of element happens, like that? I think what happens with match free is as you describe it is uh, this is how a level looks like you're, you're setting up the pieces, right. And making sure everything is like primed, and they've designed this level specifically for you to run out of like uh, that one the one last part, right? Yeah. If you're just making it extra perfect, that's when you run out. Uh, uh, and and that's the way the game is designed. But they really yeah. know what makes this game really fun, right? They really know because they they know that set this the setting up it's like constructing something it's like constructing a giant bomb right and then <laughs> and then at the end of the level you get the payoff yeah um 
and that's I think what what a lot of people find fascinating about match free is that you have this sense of control, but also the sense of not being in control. It's like it's not a gambling machine. You feel way more in control than any slot machine. Um, but still, that's a certain little bit of uncertainty. And when you <laughs> finally got it, it's like, yeah, <laughs> right? And it's, yeah. It, it's super well done. And I think a lot of... Uh, a lot of why match free is so uh, intriguing to a lot of people is because of, of that. Like it requires investment up front and uh, requires uh, player ingenuity and, and, and knowing how the game works. Like there's a particular knowledge. You cannot just swipe any match, but you need to think ahead and see where things are falling and make sure everything lines up correctly. Uh, and then that's really, yeah, what you, yeah, they, they monetize then on the perfect way uh, for that particular game. Um, for us, for instance, with a word game, without a fail mechanic, because fail, like a lot of people don't like failing, and especially if you're that invested, right? But for us, it's a way on, on a different uh, on a different level, like a word game. But we found out if, if you fail a word game, it becomes really frustrating. And you also feel like, yeah, but I, because it like taps into your vocabulary, yeah, you feel like, yeah, I'm just not smart enough, right? And we don't want that feeling to be uh, associated with our game. No, you are smart enough, right? Everyone's smart enough, and you just didn't see this particular word, and that's fine. Yeah. So one, one of course is hints that we can give players hints, and then uh, they'll they'll move on. And those, I think, were, are working really well because we also have a nice world to explore and characters to meet and a story to tell. They want to see how that continues. Um, but on top of that, we also uh, added uh, additional progression mechanics that players can get really invested in uh, through upgrading their letters that they're playing with. Um, and we see that working really well as well. Um, so, but it's on a totally different level. Like we're really about the world and making sure you get to explore that faster uh, mm-hmm. through hints and through the other progression mechanics. While match free is way more about FOMO and making sure, like, oh, man, I put in all this, all this effort. Now I want my payoff. You you feel entitled to, right? Well, yeah, and and it seems like you guys are doing that. You know, what is fun? Fun is feeling like you are smart and and beating the level. And hints do allow you to do that. And maybe there's even some better ways you can blend it in. I don't know. I I have Um, another fun example of that, which was with with a a discussion I had with a colleague. It was about our ad uh, placement. And as I said, we had the ad placement right after a level adds 20% extra progression. And uh, what she said to me is like, "Hey, I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, pressing that every time. Like, I don't feel that, uh, I don't feel it's offering me enough value every time." And I'm like, "Okay, but uh, it's an option, so you don't have to click it. So you just click it away. And then when when it does feel valuable, you click it. So what does that make you feel?" if you click it away. And she said, it makes me feel smart. Like I said, it's perfect because I want you to feel smart. So I don't necessarily have to uh, sell you every ad I can, right? I just want to make you feel smart. And if you feel smart, like, okay, now I'm watching the ad because it gives me that value. You feel smart again and delighted by the ad. And you like that you get the extra progress. So that goes way further than just annoying the hell out of you every time because I'm just adding more value in that short term. Like I'm adding value long term. If you can make you feel smart, now, then you'll probably feel smart in a week still because this game will make you feel smart. Yeah, uh, that goes away longer, I think, in, in, in uh, uh, yeah, making sure to the players don't churn away out of those fr- frustrations. Yeah, I, I think I've seen a couple other like implementations that are, are really good about that. Like Adventure Capitalists, I, I use this, you know, you come in and what is fun in that game? It's getting super rich, right? You know, building up your empire. You can watch one ad and everything that you do, you get double dollars for. So it's like, well, it's almost a waste of my time not to watch the ad. Exactly. And and if that makes you feel good, that's great because that's great for the advertiser. It's great for the ad network. It's great for (laughs) for the developers and it's great for you. Right. So it's it's win all the way. And, 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 and we have that possibility. 
Like there's there's plenty of possibilities to make sure everyone wins in the end. Yeah, no, I, I love this mindset. Um, I think the last example that I you know have been thinking about has been uh, League of Legends and what is fun in that game. It's mastering a champion and showing off your mastery over you know some opponent and ultimately you know winning the match. Um, yeah. And you know what makes it more fun. Well, buying a skin that makes you even stand out even more on like your favorite champion that you're awesome about. So yeah, yeah. it works and you're delighted to buy it and you're delighted to use it and show it off. And yeah, exactly. And that's why skins really work in that particular environment because you have to, you have to stage to show it off, right? There, there <laughs> is that stage that they created for you to show off. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. Unless you, you buy the skin on the champion you really suck at. And then, you know, the, you have big expectations and you just let your team down. <laughs> that can also happen, but that's also fun. You're already playing, like, uh, playing one step deeper the game, not as an intended, yeah. just like messing up with your, your fellow players. <laughs> Indeed. I love it. Cool. Well, I, I know we're, we're pretty much out of time here, but I always like to ask, you know, one question at the end, which is, because we are on the Mastering Retention Podcast, you know, what's one tip or trick you've learned over the years for, you know, helping to boost the retention? You know, how do you keep players around and engaged in your game longer? Uh, I, I wouldn't call this a, a, a trick or, or, or a quick tip, but I think what's really important um, for both retention and uh, monetization is to earn the trust of your players. Um, and making sure that when they have questions, there's something where they can go to with their questions, right? To have that support either built in uh, or available to them. Um, yeah, I think, and, and that trust goes deep, right? It goes also to UA and and and, and uh, not tricking them towards your, your game with, with expectations that the game doesn't meet. Like trust is... Is uh, is built from the start, and that's and that's usually when the when the user clicks, the the first time they see an ad, um, and then you have to keep that trust throughout the game, uh, and yeah, if you if you can keep that trust and make sure the game stays fun, and that's of course a topic on its own, but uh, doesn't become annoying. <laughs> that's uh, that's. Uh, that's what I want to say. It doesn't become annoying because you have to make money. Yeah. Uh, but just uh, just is there to say, hey, this is this is really all the stuff you like, and it's all for free. You can you can get there. Uh, I think that really helps retention. Love it. This has been uh, super great. Thank you so much, Chen. Um, if people do have any you know questions for you, is there a good way they can connect with you? Yeah, sure. Uh, it's been great uh, for me as well. I, I really like doing this. Uh, people can reach me on LinkedIn. That's linkedin.com slash in slash game design. Uh, I was an early adopter of LinkedIn, so <laughs> I got my own URL. Wow, <laughs> nice. Love it. So I can use that one. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. Well, thank you so much. I uh, hope we can have you back again sometime. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Bye-bye.